Section 20 of the History of Chemistry. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paul King, Mississauga, Ontario. pjk.scripts.mit.edu forward slash pkj. The History of Chemistry by Thomas Thompson. Volume 1, Chapter 5. Part 2 of Van Helmont and the Iatrochemists. From the preceding sketch of the physiology of Van Helmont, it is evident that he paid little or no regard to the structure of the parts in explaining the functions. In his pathology, we find the same passion for spiritualism. He admitted, indeed, the importance of anatomy, but he regretted that the pathological part of that science had been so little cultivated. As the archaeus is the foundation of life and of all the functions, it is plain that the diseases can neither be derived from the four cardinal humours nor from the disposition or the action of opposite things. The proximate cause of diseases must be sought for in the sufferings, the anger, the fear, and the other affections of the archaeus, and their remote cause may be considered as the ideal seed of the archaeus. Disease, in his opinion, is not a negative state or a mere absence of health. It is a substantial and active thing as well as a state of health. Most of the diseases which attack certain parts or members of the body result from an error in the archaeus, who sends his ferment from the stomach in which he resides into the other parts of the body. Van Helmont explained in this way not only the epilepsy and madness, but likewise the gout, which does not proceed from a flux and has not its seat in the limb in which the pain resides, but is always owing to an error in the vital spirit. It is true that the character of the gout acts upon the semen in which the vital spirit principally manifests its action, and that in this way diseases are propagated in the act of generation. But if during life, instead of altering the semen, it is carried to the liquid of the articulations, this is a proof of the prudence of nature, which lavishes all her cares on the preservation of the species, and loves better to alter the humours of the articulations than the semen itself. The gout acidifies the liquors of the articulations, which is then coagulated by the acids. The duumvirate is the cause of the apoplexy, vertigo, and particularly of a species of asthma, which Van Helmont calls caducus pulmonalis. Pleurisy is produced in a similar way. The archaeus, in a movement of rage, sends acrid acids to the lungs, which occasion an inflammation. Dropsy is also owing to the anger of the archaeus, who prevents the secretions of the kidneys from going on in the usual way. Of all the diseases, fever appeared to him most conformable to his notions of the unlimited power of the archaeus. The causes of fever are all much more proper to offend the archaeus than to alter the structure of parts and the mixture of humours. The cold fit is owing to a state of fear and consternation into which the archaeus is thrown, and the hot stage results from his disordered movements. All fevers have their peculiar seat in the duumvirate. Van Helmont was in general much more successful in refuting the scholastic opinions by which the practice of medicine was regulated in his time than in establishing his own.
we are struck with the force of his arguments against the galenical doctrine of fever and against the influence of the cardinal humours on the different kinds of fever he refuted no less vehemently the idea of the putridity of the blood while that liquid circulates in the vessels perhaps he carried the opposite doctrine too far but his opinions have had a good effect upon the subsequent medical theory and medical men learned from them to make less use of the term putridity the phrase mixture of humours not more intelligible however came to be substituted for it van helmont's theory of urinary calculi deserves peculiar attention because it exhibits the germ of a more rational explanation of these concretions than had been previously attempted by physiologists van helmont was aware that paracelsus who ascribed these concretions to tartar had formed an idea of their nature which a careful chemical analysis would immediately refute he satisfied himself that urinary calculi differ completely from the common stones and that they do not exist in the food or drink which the calculus person had taken tartar he says precipitates from wine not as an earth but as a crystallized salt in like manner the natural salt of urine precipitates from that liquid and gives origin to calculi we may imitate this natural process by mixing spirit of urine with rectified alcohol immediately an offa alba is precipitated it is needless to observe that van helmont was mistaken in supposing that this offa was the matter of calculus spirit of urine was a strong solution of carbonate of ammonia the alcohol precipitated this salt so that his offa was merely carbonate of ammonia nor is there the shadow of evidence that alcohol as van helmont thought it did ever makes his way into the mass of humours yet his notion of the origin of calculi is not less accurate though of course he was ignorant of the chemical nature of the various substances which constitute these calculi from this reasoning van helmont was induced to reject the term tartar employed by paracelsus to avoid all false interpretations he substitutes the word dulech to denote the state in which the spirit of urine precipitates and gives origin to these calculus concretions as all diseases proceeded in his opinion from the archaeus the object of his treatment was to calm the archaeus to stimulate it and to regulate its movements to accomplish these objects he relied upon dietetics and upon acting on the imaginations of his patients he considered certain words as very efficacious in curing the diseases of the archaeus he admitted the existence of the universal medicine to which he gave the names of liquor alcahest ons primum salium and primus metallus mercurials antimonials opium and wine are particularly agreeable to the archaeus when in a state of delirium from fever among the mercurial preparations he praises what he calls mercurius diaphoreticus as the best he gives no account of the mode of preparing it but from some circumstances i think it must have been calomel he considers it as a sovereign remedy in fevers dropsies diseases of the liver and ulcers of the lungs he employed the red oxide of mercury as an external application to ulcers 
The principal antimonial preparations which he employed were the hydrosulfuret or golden sulfur and the deutoxide or antimonium diaphoreticum. The last medicine was used in scruple doses, a proof of its great inertness compared with the protoxide of antimony. Opium he considered as a fortifying and calming medicine. It contains an acrid salt and bitter oil which give it the virtue of putting a stop to the errors of the archaeus when it is sending its acid ferment into the other acid parts of the body. Van Helmont assures us that he wrought many important cures by the employment of wine. Such is a very short statement of the opinions of a man who, notwithstanding his attachment to the fanatical opinions which distinguished the time in which he lived, had the merit of overturning a vast number of errors, both theoretical and practical, and of laying down many principles which, for want of erudition, have been frequently assigned to modern writers. Van Helmont has been frequently placed on the same level with Paracelsus and treated like him with contempt. But his claims upon the medical world are much higher, and his merits infinitely greater. His notions, it is true, were fanatical, but his erudition was great, his understanding excellent, and his industry indefatigable. His writings did not become known until rather a late period, for with the exception of a single tract, they were not published until 1684 by his son after his death. The decided preference given to a chemical medicines by Van Helmont and the uses to which he applies chemical theory had a natural tendency to raise chemistry to a higher rank in the eyes of medical men than it had yet reached. But the man to whom the credit of founding the iatrochemical sect is due is Francis de la Bois Silvius, who was born in the year 1614. While a practitioner of medicine at Amsterdam, he studied with profound attention the system of Van Helmont and the rival and much more popular theory of Descartes. Upon these he founded his own theory, which in reality contains little entitled to the name of original notwithstanding the tone in which he speaks of it and his repeated declarations that he had borrowed from no one. He was appointed professor of the theory and practice of medicine in the University of Leiden, where he taught with such eclat and drew after him so great a number of pupils that Borhave alone surpassed him in this respect. It was he that first introduced the practice of giving clinical lectures in the hospitals on the cases treated in the presence of the pupils. This admirable innovation has been productive of much benefit to medicine. He greatly promoted anatomical studies and inspected, himself, a vast number of dead bodies. This is the more remarkable because his own system, like that of Van Helmont, from whom it was borrowed, was quite independent of the structure of the parts. Everything was explained by him according to the principles of chemistry as they were then understood. The celebrity of the university in which he taught and the vast number of his pupils contributed to the spread of his theory into every part of the world, and to give it an eclat which is really surprising when we consider it with attention. But he possessed the talents just suited for securing the reception of his opinions by his pupils as infallible oracles and of being the idol of the university. Yet it is melancholy to be obliged to add 
that few persons ever more abused the favours of nature or the advantages of situation and elocution to form a clear idea of the principles of this founder of iatrochemistry we have only to call to mind the ferments of van helmont which constitute the foundation stone of the whole system we cannot says he conceive a single change in the mixture of the humours which is not the consequence of fermentation and yet he assigns to this fermentation conditions which are scarcely to be found united in the living body digestion in his opinion is a true fermentation produced by the application of a ferment like van helmont he admits a triumvirate but places it in the humours the effervescence or fermentation which enabled him to explain most of the functions of the body digestion is the result of the mixture of the saliva in which the pancreatic juice and the bile and the fermentation of these humours the saliva as well as the pancreatic juice contains an acidulous salt easily recognized by the taste here sylvius derives advantage from the experiments of rainer de graaf on the pancreatic juice which he had constantly found acid sylvius who affirmed that the bile contained an alkali united with an oil and a volatile spirit supposes an effervescence from the union of the alkali of the bile which the acid of the pancreatic juice and this fermentation he considered as the cause of digestion by this fermentation the chyle is produced which is nothing else than the volatile spirit of the food accompanied by an oil and an alkali neutralized by a weak acid the blood is more than completed plus quam perfictor in the spleen it acquires its highest perfection by the addition of a certain quantity of vital spirits the bile is not drawn from the blood in the liver but pre-exists in the circulating fluid it mixes with that fluid anew to be carried to the heart together with the lymph equally mixed with the blood and there it gives the origin to a vital fermentation in this way the blood becomes a centre of reunion of all the humours and secretions which mix together or separate without the solids taking the smallest share of the operations indeed so completely are the solids banished from the system of sylvius that he attends to nothing whatever except the humours the formation and motion of the blood is explained by the fermentation of the oily volatile salt of the bile and the dulcified acid of the lymph which develops the vital heat by which the blood is attenuated and becomes capable of circulating this vital fire quite different from ordinary fire is kept up in its turn by the uniform mixture of the blood it attenuates the humours not because it is heat but because it is composed of pyramids this last notion is obviously borrowed from descartes just as the fermentation in the heart as the cause of the motion of the blood reminds us of the opinions of van helmont sylvius explains the preparation of the vital spirits in the encephalos by distillation and he finds a great resemblance between the properties and those of spirit of wine the nerves conduct these spirits to the different parts and they spread themselves in the substance of the organs to render them sensible when they insinuate themselves into the glands the addition of the acid of the blood produces a liquid analogous to naphtha which constitutes the lymph 
Lymph, then, is a compound of the vital spirit and the acid of the blood. Milk is formed from the mammae by the afflux of a very mild acid which gives a white color to the red humor of the blood. The theory of the natural functions was no less chemical. Even the diseases themselves were explained upon chemical principles. Silvius first introduced the word acridity to denote a predominance of the chemical elements of the humors, and he looked upon these acridities as the proximate cause of all diseases. But as everything acrid may be referred to one or other of two classes, acids and alkalis, there are only two great classes of diseases, namely those proceeding from an acid acridity and those proceeding from an alkaline. Silvius was not altogether ignorant of the constituent parts of the animal humors, but it is obvious from the account of his opinions just given that this knowledge was very incomplete. Indeed, the whole of his chemical science resolves itself into a comparison of the humors of the living body with chemical liquids. Perhaps his notions respecting such of the gases, as he had occasion to observe, were somewhat clearer than those of Van Helmont. He called them halitus, and takes some notice of their different chemical properties, and states the influence which he supposes them to exert in certain diseases. In the human body he saw nothing but a magna of humors continually in fermentation, distillation, effervescence, or precipitation, and the physician was degraded by him to the rank of a distiller or a brewer. Bile acquires different acridities when bad food, altered air, or some other causes act upon the body, it becomes acid or alkaline. In the former case, it thickens and occasions obstructions. In the latter, it excites febrile heat, and the viscid vapors elevated from it are the cause of the cold fit with which fever commences. All acute and continued fevers have their origin in the sacridity of the bile. The vicious mixture of the bile with the blood, or its specific acridity, produces jaundice, which is far from being always owing to obstructions in the liver. The vicious effervescence of the bile with the pancreatic juice produces almost all other diseases. But all these assertions of Silvius are unsupported by evidence. The acid acridity of the pancreatic juice and the obstruction of the pancreatic ducts which are produced by it are considered by him as the cause of intermittent fevers. When the acid of the pancreatic juice acquires still more acridity, hyperchondriasis and hysteria are the consequence of it. If during morbid effervescence of the pancreatic juice with the bile and acid and viscid humor arise, the vital spirits of the heart are overwhelmed during a certain time. This occasions syncope, palpitation of the heart, and other nervous affections. When the acid acridity of the pancreatic juice or of the lymph, for both are similar, is deposited on the nerves, the consequence is spasms or convulsions. Epilepsy in particular depends upon the acrid vapors produced by the morbid effervescence of the pancreatic juice with acrid bile. 
Gout has the same origin as intermittent fevers, for we must look for it in the obstruction of the pancreas and the lymphatic glands, accompanied with an acid acridity of the lymph. Rheumatism is owing to the acrid acid deprived of the oil which dulcifies it. The smallpox is occasioned by an acid acridity in the lymph which gives origin to the pustules. Indeed, all suppuration in general is owing to a coagulating acid in the lymph. Syphilis results from a caustic acid in the lymph. The itch is produced by an acid acridity of the lymph. Dropsies are produced by the same acid acridity of the lymph. Urinary calculi are the consequences of a coagulating acid existing in the lymph and the pancreatic juice. Corrosive acids and the loss of volatile spirits occasion leucorrhea. From the preceding statement, it would appear that almost all diseases proceed from acids. However, Silvius informs us that malignant fevers are owing to a superabundance of volatile salts and to a too great tenuity of the blood. The vital spirits themselves give occasion to diseases. They are sometimes too aqueous, sometimes they effervesce too violently, and sometimes not at all. Hence, all the nervous diseases which Silvius never considers as existing by themselves, but is always derived from the acid, acrid, or alkaline vapors which trouble the vital spirits. The method of cure which Silvius deduced from these absurd and contemptible hypotheses was worthy of the hypotheses themselves, and certainly constitute the most detestable mode of treatment that ever has disgraced medical science. To diseases produced by the effervescence of bile that he opposed purgatives, because in his opinion emetics produced injurious effects. The reason was that the emetics which he employed were too violent, consisting of antimonial preparations, particularly powder of elcroti, or an impure protoxide of antimony. For, though emetic tartar had been discovered in 1630, it does not seem to have come into use till a much later period. We do not find any notice of it in the Praxis Chimiatrica of Hartmann, published in 1647 at Geneva. He endeavored to moderate the acridity of the bile by opiates and other narcotics. It will scarcely be believed, though it was a natural consequence of his opinions, when we state that he recommended ammoniacal preparations, particularly his oleaginous volatile salt and spirit of hartshorn, etc., as cures for almost all diseases. Sometimes they were employed to correct the acidity of the lymph, sometimes to destroy the acid acridity of the pancreatic juice, sometimes to correct the inertness of the vital spirits, sometimes to promote the secretions and to induce a flow of the menses. Volatile spirit of amber and opium were prescribed by him in intermittent fevers, and volatile salts in almost all acute diseases. He united them with antivenomous potions, angelica, contraerva, bezoard, crab's eyes, and other similar substances. These absorbents seemed to him very necessary to correct the acidity of the pancreatic juice and the acridity of the bile. In administering them, he had paid no attention to the regular course which acute diseases usually run. He neither inquired into the remote nor proximate causes of disease, nor to the symptoms, 
everything was neglected connected with induction and his whole proceedings re regulated by wild speculations and absurd theories quite inconsistent with the phenomena of nature end of section twenty recording by paul king mississauga pjk.scripts.mit.edu forward slash pkj